0: So let's open up in prayer as we look to God's word together now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are still actively at work in this world. You are actively at work in this world, uh, bringing people to be saved from the consequences of our sin, to be freed from, from judgment and brought into the wonderful blessings of a relationship with you but you're still active in this world in terms of um, maturing and growing those who do know you to form us to be more like your son, Jesus. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, we pray that it might have that effect upon us, it might help those who are still sussing you out to, to see you clearly and the wonderful good news that is often held out in the gospel. But Lord, for those who do know you, that we might see and be challenged by the things that you call us to, who you have created us to be, and how we live in relationship with you. Help me by your spirit to to teach your word faithfully and help all of us, myself included, to hear and respond in obedience. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to make a bold claim. AFL is the superior form of football in this country. Now, I know the moment I say that, there are going to be three responses in this room, and I'm not going to suggest what numbers fall into each of these categories. Some of you's first response is, stupid Victorian. (laughs) That being said, I lived in Victoria for 14 years before I moved to Queensland, but I wasn't born in Victoria. Or in the second category, you might think, that could be true. I've never really cared to watch AFL, so I don't really know. But it, no, that, it could be true. I, I'm open to the idea. Or there could be a third category. Who cares? <laughs> Each one of these responses is going to fit into one of the following categories. Either you come into the category of, I'm a Queenslander. Don't bring me this AFL business. I've grown up with NRL, it's all we know and this is who we are, I love my NRL, I don't need anything else, don't give me another option. Or you might be, well, you could be right, admittedly I've never taken a good look at AFL. Or you think, I don't care at all, don't waste my time. Even if you went with option three, don't waste my time, that's quite okay. This is not an important, life-changing thing. This is something which you can't even measure a result of, which is a superior support, sport. It's a matter of opinion. But this morning we're going to look at different responses to something. It's not just a matter of opinion, not something that's so trivial as sport, but it's about Jesus Christ and the Gospel. In Acts chapter 16 to 19, we see the establishment of some significant churches. Some that are, some of our letters in our New Testament are formed upon. Chapter 16, we saw the gospel going to Philippi, the, the church to which Paul wrote the letters to, to the Philippian church. Today, we see the Thessalonian church. Chapter 18, we see the establishment of the church in Corinth. and chapter 19, the establishment of the church in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 16, not only did you see the gospel go again into further into Gentile territory, but we saw that it was a gospel that penetrated all people groups. We highlighted in our last message as we went through the book of Acts that there was a famous Jewish prayer that on a daily basis they would thank God that they were not a Jew, sorry, a Gentile, a woman or a slave. Yet in Acts chapter 16, we see the blessing and grace of God go to each of those three groups. This week we see Paul and Silas go to Thessalonica and Berea. And even though they had a ministry that that spread outside of the synagogue, Luke's focus here in Acts is of the ministry they had amongst those who were within the synagogue. And as we look at these two different locations we see two different distinct types of responses as Jesus is presented to them as the Christ. To Thessalonica, it's almost a choice between following or fighting in the first nine verses. Whereas in Berea, everyone is open to investigate, they study the scriptures, and then they reach their conclusion. So firstly, follow or fight Remember, things while there was great gospel ministry there in Philippi, as it has always been the case, everywhere Paul went, there'd always be some who'd stir up trouble and eventually Paul and Silas were asked to leave Philippi. And so they head to Thessalonica, which is the capital of Macedonia, the very area which Paul moved to that direction as he received a vision in the night of someone saying, come to Macedonia, we need your help. Along their travels, From Philippi, they go through Amphipolis and Apollonia, which seem to be just stops along the way on the journey. And even though Paul had said a number of chapters ago, that's it, we're going to the Gentiles, it's still his common approach, and he's already done it a number of times since, where his starting point is to begin with the synagogue, with the people that he once totally identified with as a Jew. Are people who were longing and waiting for this Messiah, this Christ, who would come, who would set them free from their enemies, and so it makes sense that he would go to the people to which who have the hope and expectation and say, "This one you're looking for, he's come. His name is Jesus." So, as was Paul's custom, on three Sabbaths, so he's there in three weeks, reasoning with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. He says, This is necessary. This is what makes the Christ. This is what the Christ should look like. Paul showed them from the scriptures this was necessary. This is how it had to be. Because from the Jewish perspective, for Jesus to die on a Roman cross... Is the ultimate reason why they say this guy could not be a Messiah. In their mind, a Messiah would be one who'd be a king, a one who would defeat their enemies, enemies, one who would who would free them, not be crucified by the Romans. They've rightly picked up on the idea that the Messiah would be a king, and a Messiah who would liberate them, free them from their greatest enemy but they were mistaken in identifying who their greatest enemy was. They thought they needed freedom from the Romans occupying their land. But their biggest problem, and our biggest problem, was they need to be freed from their slavery to sin and the consequences of their sin. And that's exactly what Jesus' death was for. Jesus came for that very purpose, to lay down his life to be a sin offering on behalf of the people. Jesus' death is how the enemy was defeated. It was the means by how he was exalted to the right hand of the Father. So Paul reasons from scriptures the same way in which Jesus did. It was necessary to fulfill the scriptures that the Messiah must be handed over, must suffer, be killed and be raised on the third day. Jesus' death didn't discredit him from being the Messiah or from being the Christ. It was an essential foundational requirement and proof that he was the Messiah. But for those who were hearing this for the first time, it was like me saying to you Queenslanders, AFL is the superior form of football. It was so foreign to everything they've always believed, everything they'd always grown up to, And as is always the case when the gospel gets presented, you end up with two responses. Either people hear it as good news, something they want to entrust their life with, or it goes to rejection and opposition. Now amongst those who were persuaded by Paul there in the synagogue included Jews, God-fearing Greeks, that they they were Greeks, by ethnic origin but who were into the Jewish beliefs and also some significant women who were there amongst the synagogue people as well now that might just seem like an incidental note but remember in first century culture women were not esteemed particularly highly yet you'll notice a number of times throughout the book of Acts and throughout all of the New Testament that they are celebrated as being equally part of the community of God's family That they rejoice just as much as Jews and God-fearing Gentiles and women enter into the family of God's children. But as Paul speaks to them about Jesus being that Christ even though it's a completely foreign perspective to them something they would have never crossed their mind before some were convinced they were wrong. They were convinced from what Paul showed them that this was the truth. And they were willing to change. However, those who weren't convinced, they were probably a little bit more like those who answered the first question of stupid Victorian. Now they heard something, it was so foreign to everything they'd ever believed, and so they're not having a bar of it. They're not considering it, they're just like, we are Jews, we do this Don't give us something else, we're not willing to listen to it. Just like it happened previously throughout Acts, there were times when the Jewish people got jealous. And that's how they responded. They got jealous not just because Paul and Silas were correcting their view of the Bible, not because Paul and Silas were bringing a teaching different to theirs. They got jealous because more people were listening to them. And their response they didn't, wasn't an issue about Paul and Silas's teaching. Otherwise they would have said, no, sorry guys, you've got it wrong. This is what the Bible teaches. They don't correct the teaching. Nor do they say, well guys, we're Jews. This is a synagogue. We're going to teach Judaism the way we do Judaism. If you want to teach your thing, you go do it somewhere else. They didn't do either of those things. How they respond was this. The Jews were jealous, and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jaces, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. That's an interesting way to reject the gospel, isn't it? You not only think, we're going to bring this thing to an end, but we'll happily recruit anyone in town We don't care if they believe in our beliefs. If they're happy to oppose these people, we'll just get anyone in town, we'll form a mob, we'll cause cause an uprising, we'll bring this to an end. Then in a great moment of irony, these people have formed a mob, stirring up the city, bring an accusation before their city magistrates. This Paul and Silas, they're causing social unrest. Now, Thessalonica was an independent area. They had their own independent governance. So it was their, that's why it speaks about their, their civic leaders. So it's almost strange that they appealed to the decrees of Caesar about having no other king. But certainly any idea of commitment and allegiance to someone else wasn't welcome. But I think their main argument was these guys have made big stirs all over the entire Roman Empire and now they've come here and they're going to do the same. They're going to threaten our independence. They're going to threaten our way of life. So we want to get rid of them. So this Jason who presumes to be the place where Paul and Silas were staying and possibly even a place where the believers were meeting during this time. They went there unable to find Paul and Silas so they bring Jason who is effectively given a good behaviour bond. You give us some money, you promise that you'll bring this thing to an end, that we'll get rid of Paul and Silas, they'll leave the area and this will all come to a stop. Jason and the others will let go, Paul and Silas leave. And you could think, well there goes the decline of that church. They only just got started, Paul and Silas are sent away, it's going to come to nothing. But last year, didn't we look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, one of the letters that Paul wrote to this church? It was a church in which brought Paul much joy, a church which churches from broadly around the area were looking to them as an example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. As these people heard the same gospel that Paul and Silas believed in, Receive the same spirit that Paul and Silas had. Their church grew without Paul and Silas being present there. Then there was Berea. As Paul and Silas move on, they travel to Berea. Exact same start again, beginning with the synagogue. Probably not a surprise. We got mixed responses once again. But there's one distinction that separates them differently than the Thessalonians, for the Bereans, they were eager to hear the things Paul had to say. There was no fingers in the ears as like, no, we're Jews; we don't listen to anything else. They were open-minded, willing to listen. But it would be foolish just to believe Paul and Silas because what they said sounded interesting. It would be foolish to believe them just because it sounded attractive and appealing. They listened to what Paul and Silas had to say but that wasn't what decided what they would believe. They had a means by which they would refer to and determine what they would take on board. They received the word with eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. No matter how attractive, how appealing or convincing sounding what Paul said, they went back to the scriptures and said, is what Paul's saying in line with what God has already given us. If it is, we'll believe it. If it's not, we'll throw it away as the trash that it is. And that same approach should go to any teaching you ever hear, any sermon you ever hear, including this one. Examine your Bibles. Search the Scriptures to see if they are so. Because sadly I know far, far, far too many people who are led astray by a well put together sermon or a talk that is so clearly foreign to what God has made known but they just don't understand the scriptures well enough to know what they should take hold of and what they should reject. If you don't know your Bibles well you set yourself up to be fooled. As a pastor my job is to teach God's word faithfully not to change it not to find the bits that I like and just teach those bits not to leave out the bits that I'm not comfortable with because I'll be honest there are doctrines and beliefs that I hold that are not my personal preference but that's what, that's what faithful teaching is it's being faithful to what God says not what I prefer it's not really trusting and esteeming God as the ultimate authority if I pick and choose which things he says that I like. That basically says I'm the ultimate authority and sometimes God agrees with me if I take that approach. And even with all diligence, there are going to be times when I get it wrong. I'm very well aware of the warnings in the Scriptures that those who teach will incur a stricter judgment. It's not something to be taken lightly. You'll notice most Sundays I put up the following reading for the next week. That's not just out of convenience, but it's a good thing to actually read through the passage and consider it before the sermon. So that when the sermon comes, you've got something to kind of weigh back. Then read through it again afterwards, particularly if something sounded a little bit out of whack. Search the scriptures. Raise the questions. See if things are consistent with the rest of the scriptures. Have those conversations. If two people sit down together and read the scriptures, even if they disagree at the end... It's still going to be a beneficial thing. But for the Thessalonians, was this examining of the Scriptures that led them to believe. It wasn't Paul's arguments. They listened to Paul's arguments. Everyone listened to Paul's arguments. Everyone examined the Scriptures. And some, by examining the Scriptures, believed the things which Paul taught. But don't miss the other part of it. While everyone heard Paul's teaching eagerly, everyone searched the scriptures, not all of them believed. It says many of them believed. And again, we see the same distinction in Jews, Greeks, and many of the women. Because unless God caused that new birth, that same gospel, that same message, will bring new birth in some and not new birth in others. It's the parable of the soul all, all over again, isn't it? You sat at the seed and you find out where the good soil is, because that's that's where the seed pops at. But this time the opposition didn't come from the Bereans. It appears that those who searched the scriptures and who weren't convinced by Paul and Silas, they say, Oh well, we're not convinced. The opposition came from the Thessalonians who heard that Paul was doing the same thing in Berea. They they come traveling down and stirred up the crowds. And again, Paul and Silas. Paul Paul is encouraged to move on and as he moves on he he requests Timothy and Silas to come join him in Athens as well. So what? Just an interesting bit of history of what happened in the church? Well firstly it's an encouraging thing to see that as the gospel goes out further and further geographically people are still being saved. It's not just a gospel to one little area. And while we focus a lot in this chapter here of what Paul did amongst the people of the synagogue in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, you can tell by the reading through 1 Thessalonians that during that time, he heavily was invested in the marketplace, in the everyday people. Because in the letter to the Thessalonians, he speaks about how they turned from idols to the living God. It's not a gospel just for one demographic. It's not just for those who have a Jewish background or even, again, those the, the Greeks or the women as well. It's a gospel for everyone because it's a gospel that brings a good news that transforms the bad news that affects every single one of us because every single one of us, we're given our life and every blessing that we have around us by a God who created us, who in turn therefore should be honoured as the one who's given us all things, to whom we belong. But by nature we've, we've disrespected him, we've rejected him. Or in political terms, we've committed high treason against our king. We deserve death. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that he came to bear a death sentence that wasn't due to him, that was our death sentence. He came to be our substitute, to bear our punishment on our behalf, that all who would trust in him would be free from the consequences of our rebellion, would know the blessings of a relationship with him, and an eternal life with him forever. And as that same good news came to Thessalonica and Berea, there were mixed responses. Luke focused mainly on the synagogue ministries of both of them. But we're not talking about insignificant responses to something like the question about AFL and how superior or not superior it is. Today so we're looking at how do we respond to the teaching of the Bible? How do we respond to what God, God has made known to us? A serious matter. In Thessalonica, some people believed... Others just attacked, didn't listen, didn't give it a thought. They just decided, this is who we are. I'm happy with the way things are. Don't give me anything different. Whereas in Berea, everyone listens. Everyone's open to considering. They all search the scriptures to see whether or not these things being taught are indeed true. Then they decide whether they would believe or not. But I want you to ponder this. Even for those in Berea, the thought that Jesus Christ was the central hope of the Bible, that he was the Messiah, he was the Christ, would have at first been every bit as foreign to them as it was to those who rejected it. Yet they came to be convinced that something that was so black and white, they were actually wrong on We use an expression today frequently when we come to comprehend something we just thought was beyond imagining. You hear people say, my mind was blown. Now if Twitter was around there in the first century, you'd have all the Berean Christians getting on there saying, Jesus is Christ, hashtag mind blown. But I think the saddest outcome of all of them was the opposition of the Thessalonians who were too proud who were so set in stone, this is who we are, were comfortable with this, that they would happily reject without considering the good news of the gospel that was able to offer them eternal life and salvation, that would set them free, that was actually the very culmination of all of their hopes and all of the promises that God had given the Israelites. wherever you are presently with regards to Jesus the way you respond to God and his word it might be more like the Bereans it might be more like someone who's actually keen to actually weigh up and consider things that you don't write things off and say no I've got it all sorted out I'm a genius I know everything about the world the way everything is or about who I am we don't and search the scriptures there's no better while we can't physically see what Jesus said and did we have four great biographical accounts of the things that he did that all of us can read to weigh out for ourselves, is this Jesus of the Bible who he claims us to be but don't ever get to a point whether you're still sussing out Jesus or you are a Christian, we are not willing to be challenged being challenged is how we grow Having our minds changed is a regular part of growing as a follower of Jesus Christ. If we weren't willing to be challenged and be changed, every single one of us would be sitting here with a dumb in our mouth and an nappy on. Things change. I pray that we would be a people who would always look to the Bible and as we look to the Bible say, God, change me. Change me to be more of the person that you created me to be. Help me to see more clearly what is the purpose of this world I live in. Help me to see more clearly who you are, who I am and how I am to live in this world. Help me to see whether this truly is good news that Jesus Christ died and rose again. Help me to see that there is purpose, meaning and hope offered in the gospel. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father I know I can certainly confess that I was in that category of someone who was so hardened so unwilling to consider anything outside of my own perspective of life and reality yet I give you thanks for those who persevered diligently in praying for me I give you thanks that in your grace and your mercy, you did not write me off just because I was hostile towards you and even openly hating you and everything that Christianity stood for. Yet in your grace, that same gospel that I had heard and hated and rejected for many years, you helped me to see the wonderful good news that it is that I could receive forgiveness not only for my general rejection, but even for my open rebellion and my open expression of hatred towards you and towards the Christian church. Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for all. There is no one outside of the realms of your grace, no one whom you cannot save and whom you are not willing to save. But Lord, hear all who will call upon you for the forgiveness of their sins, who will desire to live in relationship with you and in obedience to you, that you desire to grant life and life eternal to them. We give you thanks for these wonderful promises. In Jesus' name, amen.